Hey guys, welcome to this week's episode of So What Else? I'm your host, Caitlin. Today is very exciting because we have a repeat guest. Today we have Sheila Gregoire. You might remember her from back in February of 2022. Her and her husband came on and we talked about their books, The Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex and The Good Guy's Guide to Great Sex. So today we have Sheila here to talk about her new book, She Deserves Better. It's about raising girls to resist toxic teachings on sex, self, and speaking up, which is amazing. Okay, guys, listen, maybe you're a mom, a grandma, an aunt, you work with girls, or maybe you need to, as she says in this episode, reparent your own self from some toxic teachings you possibly picked up on. She talks a lot about how to talk to girls about modesty, dating, sex, respecting themselves, how to protect our girls from entering into an abusive relationship. Just a lot, a lot of stuff. And it's really, really powerful. It's really a a very important conversation. So stay tuned. All right, Sheila, thanks so much for coming back to So What Else? Yeah, great to be here again. I think I talked to you like a little over a year ago. It was February 2022 and it was you. I spoke to you and your husband. Right. And right. it was the good girl's guide to great sex and the good guy's guide to great sex. I think. Yes. yes. Yep, absolutely. And it was so great. We had such a good response. So I was really excited that you came out with a new book. You just launched mm-hmm. your new book. She deserves better. Raising girls to resist toxic teachings on sex, self and speaking up. I love mm-hmm. it. How's that? How's the launch been for you? Crazy? Yeah. You know what? Um, the book is selling really well. I, awesome. I mean, it's terrible to say, but we weren't expecting it to do this well. But I think that there's just a real hunger in the church. Mm-hmm. And women are like, no, we got to get healthy. Yeah. This isn't okay. The way we've been treated is not okay. And I want better for my daughter. Absolutely. Absolutely. And what I love about you and everything with you that you ever put out, this is filled with actual research, actual numbers. It's it's not just your opinion. You know, it's not just like you sitting back and going, you know, like I'm annoyed about this. I'm going to write a book. You know, like there's actual (laughs) research throughout this whole book. You surveyed over 7,000 women for this book. And Mm -hmm. I just want to say that right up front so that everybody knows this isn't just like, we're not just like shooting the breeze. This is like factual information. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Which I love. So listen, just speaking to the listeners really quick. This book is geared toward people who were raised in the church, obviously, and it's geared toward moms or women who work with girls. Mm -hmm. But if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, well, I wasn't raised in the church. This doesn't apply to me or I'm not a mom. This doesn't apply to me. Stick around. You'll be surprised. Like, I really mean that. I think that this information is so important for everyone and you'll be surprised at how it connects to you, even if you weren't necessarily raised in the church. I'm sure you know someone. I'm sure you've heard some of these messages implicitly, explicitly, whatever. Have you found that, that it kind of connects with other people? Oh, yeah. Because even though the church told these toxic things to girls, you know, mm-hmm. so was the secular world in mm-hmm. a lot of ways. Yep. We were getting these messages from everywhere. And that's what's so sad. The church should have been better and it wasn't. Mm-hmm. And in a lot mm-hmm. of in a lot of ways, in some of the messages, it was worse. Yeah. Um, but the messages are everywhere. Mm-hmm. And they're bad, and we do deserve better. And I think I've I've heard from so many women who have been reading the book, and they're like, "I am just reading this for little fifteen year old me who needs to be reparented, totally, and who needs to hear something that's healthy, mm-hmm. and needs to be told that was never okay." 
Mm -hmm. I was never okay what you were told. Yeah, absolutely. Something that I loved is that you kicked off the book immediately saying like, okay, like me, Sheila, I was raised in a time where like, even in the church, like we dated and things like that. And then there was this huge swing in the church. And for my generation, I'm 34. I think I'm about the same age as probably like your daughters. Mm -hmm. And like, so I have three young kids, you know, like in my generation growing up in the church, it was like purity culture. I kiss, date and goodbye, true love waits, get those Mm -hmm. purity rings. Like it was like so intense, that culture. And it was actually really funny. A few weeks ago, my husband and I were watching um, this comedian, Nick Bar- Nate Bargatze. He's like a Christian comedian. And he said the same thing you said. He was like, our generation of like 30-somethings, we were raised in the most Christian-y of Christian times. Like we were the super Christians. Like it was evangelicals on speed. And it's so true. Like, and I was reading your book and I was like, it's so crazy. Like our generation was for sure in this like time of purity culture that was very, Mm -hmm. very, very intense. And so you don't feel like you were necessarily impacted by that when you were young, do you? No, when I was young, when I was in youth group, it was all about praying for the lost. Mm. We were going to pray through the 1040 window in missions. We were going to win our schools for Christ. We were Mm -hmm. practicing how to give our testimonies. It was so evangelism focused and changing the world for God. And then purity culture happened and Mm -hmm. suddenly your faith was defined almost entirely by whether or not you'd had sex. Yeah. None of the rest of it mattered. Everything was about relationships. And that was a new thing. It had always been there in some pockets of Christianity. Mm -hmm. So there were some pockets that have always had this purity culture, but it became mainstream. Mm -hmm. And that's what was different is that this became totally mainstream. And when you look at the generations, so in our 7,000 women, we divided them into different generations. Mm -hmm. Among boomer women, everybody dated. Everybody for the wedding. Among my generation, pretty much everybody dated, you know, pretty much everybody kissed before the wedding. And then the millennials come along and it's this weird generation where all of a sudden you get 12% of our sample did not kiss before the wedding. Mm-hmm. Now we had a very conservative sample. So we had more, you know, very on mm-hmm. that end of evangelicalism. I don't think that that's necessarily representative of all churchgoers, sure. but we certainly, we certainly found that purity culture changed things. And it's like, it wasn't even a thing before that. Right. Like this idea, oh, we're just going to take Christians back to the bygone era of what was really Christianity. Jane Austen, they kissed before the wedding. Like they kissed yes. as soon as they were engaged, you know? Totally. And it it really was like this, like, you know, it's you're holier if you don't Mm -hmm. kiss before your wedding. And if someone's listening to this and they have no idea, they're like, wait, what is purity culture? What is that? Can you give like Mm -hmm. a very quick basic definition? Yeah. So a lot of people think when we're talking about purity culture, we mean the idea of saving sex for marriage. That Mm -hmm. has pretty much always been in the church. Um, Mm -hmm. Now you can you can argue about what constitutes marriage. And so Mm -hmm. there's some debate about that. But um, purity, like the idea of saving sex for marriage has been sort of a mainstay of Christian teaching forever. Purity culture put that up exponentially. And so now mm-hmm. it wasn't just about saving sex for marriage. It was that your worth is in your virginity. Mm-hmm. That were, that was felt much more, placed much more on girls than it was on boys. Mm-hmm. Um, and so girls had to, this was their most precious treasure. They were defined by whether or not they were a virgin in a way that boys weren't. Mm-hmm. 
um, girls were supposed to control men's thoughts and mm-hmm. because men were out of control, God mm-hmm. made them to be lust monsters. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was up to girls to make sure that they weren't a stumbling block, that they understood that boys couldn't stop. And so you just could not get into these situations because mm-hmm. you had to be your brother's keeper. Um, dating was bad. And so you weren't supposed to date. You were just supposed to only ever court with the person that you were going to marry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so if you broke up when you were dating, that was seen as like a, a failure. Mm-hmm. Um, and any kind of kissing was often thought of as bad. Now, that doesn't mean that people didn't kiss. It's just that right. often they would feel guilty about it. In Correct. A way that, that my generation was all talking about, oh, did he kiss you yet? And, and yeah. yeah, and that wasn't true for younger women in the same way. Totally, totally. So... A message that like you talked about that you just mentioned is like this whole like modesty thing. Like as a girl, like you have to make sure that you dress like really like you cover up, like you have Mm -hmm. to cover up. And it's not just, it's not just like, oh, don't have your boobs hanging out. Like it was like, if a guy has a sexual thought about you, that probably means that you were dressed inappropriately, right? So like Mm -hmm. that was like a big, big deal. And so here's the problem. Like I'm a mom of three young girls. Now they're too little to have these conversations yet, but Mm -hmm. you know, obviously this is going to happen for us. Obviously I'm not saying I want to swing the pendulum so far the other way and just have them like wear a bikini top to school. And it's like, yeah, whatever. Like, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. What is the, what is the happy middle? How do we ride that line of not making girls feel like you have to be like, modesty, modesty, modesty. Don't let anybody see anything. It's cover up, cover up, cover up. And not like walking around in a bra. Like where is the middle? How do we talk about that? Where's the happy medium there? Well, let me give you our data because I think that helps. Yes. So we asked women about four different iterations of the modesty message. Did you believe this as a teenager? Do you believe it now? Mm -hmm. Um, And they were, uh, boys are visual in a way that girls can never understand. A boy can't help but lust if a girl is dressed like she's trying to incite it. The girls have a responsibility not to be a stumbling block to the boys around them by what they wear. And a girl who dresses modestly is worse than a girl who doesn't. So Mm -hmm. um, so those are what we measured. All of them have terrible outcomes if you measure long-term in terms of their long-term self-esteem, their marital and sexual satisfaction, their chance of marrying an abuser, Mm -hmm. uh, their chance of having sexual pain, which is um, vaginismus is a sexual pain disorder that evangelical women suffer from at about two and a half times the rate of the general population. Mm -hmm. Uh, We found an instance rate of around 23% um, in our original survey for our book, The Great Sex Rescue. So this this is our problem. Mm-hmm. And the modesty rules are heavily implicated in it. The modesty rules that were the worst ones were the ones about boys. They were the ones with the worst effects. So when you mm-hmm. believe boys are visual in a way that mm-hmm. girls can never understand, boys can't help but lust, your chance of experiencing vaginismus increases 52%. That's oh my gosh. Oh. Your chance of marrying an abuser increases 68%. Mm-hmm. You have a 30% less chance of uh, of having good self-esteem. You are more likely to be in a church where you will be assaulted because churches that teach the modesty message, they tend to have higher rates of sexual abuse and sexual assault in their church. So these are all really bad things Mm -hmm. and it makes sense. Why? Mm -hmm. Because when you tell girls that boys can't help it, which means men can't help it, Mm -hmm. then if a guy does something to you, well, what were you wearing? It must have been your fault. Don't you understand? Mm -hmm. He can't help it because all men struggle with lust is every man's battle. Mm -hmm. You know, um, and that's the way God made men is to be visual. And mm-hmm. so 
it's out of his control. Therefore, you need to take responsibility for it. And we put that responsibility on children. Mm -hmm. Like when my youngest daughter was 11, her Sunday school teacher took her aside and said, you know, now that you're developing, you need to not wear V-necks. Because adult men might find your chest a stumbling block. And she's (gasps) like... I don't want, like, she was just so grossed out. First of all, she's not feeling super comfortable about her changing body. And now she's hearing that adult men are staring at her chest. That's so creepy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But, you know, you ask most evangelical women and you will find many stories like this. Oh, yeah. You know, our girls were told, both my girls were told they were on a praise team by an elder's wife that they had to not wear skirts while they were on the stage because the men in the front row might try to look up their skirts. The only problem is that the only men who ever sat in the front row were the elders who were serving communion. Love that. Oh my gosh. (sighs) You know, (laughs) so we have so many stories like this. Yeah. Um, And let me give you the worst example that we saw in the literature that we reviewed. Um, Mm -hmm. So we looked at a bunch of books that were written for girls and teen girls in evangelical circles. And one of them was the Secret Keeper Girl curriculum by Dana Gresh. And it was a series of conversations and dates that moms would have with their daughters and included in it was a modesty test. So it was the raise and praise test. So it told girls, put your hands up in the air. Mm -hmm. If any belly shows, that's bad because, and she explains, bellies are intoxicating. And then she has a conversation script between a mom and daughter. So the mom is supposed to say, do you remember what intoxicating means? It's like when you're drunk and out of control and God created men to be intoxicated by our bodies. Oh my goodness. But we're only intoxicating to one man, the man that we marry. And so it's very important that we cover up so we don't intoxicate other men. So let's just, let's just be really clear here. She told eight-year-old girls yeah. that adult men would be out of control at the sight of their belly. <sighs> and somehow we thought this was okay. Right. So you can imagine how that eight-year-old might feel if at the age of 10, someone gropes her. Mm-hmm. You know, must have been something I was doing mm-hmm. because I made him out of control. Mm-hmm. And so this is why it's so important if we are going to talk to our kids about clothing, that it is completely separate from the lust conversation. Okay. You never, ever, ever pair them because Mm -hmm. when you do pair them, you just put such shame on girls. And you also teach them that if we teach girls, hey, all men are like this, then when they are with a guy who is like that, who does check out other women, who does objectify women, who does make comments about other women's body parts, who is really into pornography, they're not going to realize this is not a good guy. Yes, totally. They're just going to think this is a normal guy. Mm. So we have to separate it from the last conversation. And it's pretty easy to do. We walk you through and she deserves better. At the end of each chapter, there's conversations that you can have with your daughters. Um, and we talk about, hey, let's be appropriate for the occasion. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Um, let's be kind to others in what we wear. Let's not flaunt our wealth, which is what the Bible's actually talking about. And we mm-hmm. and we walk you through how to do that. I love that. I love that. So there's a, there's also a lot of practical stuff in the book, which is like so mm-hmm. helpful because it's like you know you talk about the research, you tie in the biblical truth, but there's a ton of just practical application. So get the book, people. I love that. <laughs> Can you talk about? Um, you mentioned that women are more likely to 
find themselves in an abusive relationship or marriage when they've been raised in this intense modesty culture. Mm -hmm. Why is that? I think one of the big things is we aren't teaching girls to recognize red flags or to honor their feelings. And mm. we need to teach girls to do both. So the feeling, we, we have several chapters on this in the book on how important it is for our girls to understand that their emotions matter. Because often we um, we say things to our daughters and our sons really, but about how don't trust what you feel. The heart yeah. is wicked and deceitful above all things. You need to stand on faith, not on feelings. Um, if our kids are upset, we tell them to have joy in the Lord, that the depression and anxiety are a sign of lack of faith. Mm -hmm. So we say these kinds of things, and that essentially gaslights our kids. Yeah. That you're not feeling what you think you're feeling. You're not, you're not actually feeling that. Or if you are feeling that, you're not allowed to show it to me mm -hmm. because I find this awkward. I think that you're a problem when you're having these uncomfortable feelings. Mm -hmm. If you want your kids to be able to honor their feelings of discomfort when they're in an abusive relationship, when they're in a toxic workplace, when they're in a toxic friend group that's pressuring them to do things they don't want to do, then you need to give them permission to honor those uncomfortable feelings younger when mm -hmm. they're at home with you. Mm -hmm. If they, you know, if they feel weird around someone, that matters. Yeah. If they feel uncomfortable doing something, that matters. Mm -hmm. And you might need, it might be something where they're just a very timid kid and they need to be encouraged mm -hmm. to get out of their shell. And there's there's healthy ways to do that. But you don't shame a child for feeling uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. You honor that and you talk about it because yeah. you want them to honor their feelings. You know, our feelings are like God's spidey senses that he gives us that something is wrong in our environment. Mm -hmm. And if you are teaching your kids to disregard their feelings in the mm -hmm. name of, um, showing more faith and not mm -hmm. being self-centered, then our kids are not going to listen mm -hmm. when they start wondering if something's wrong. They're not yeah. going to listen to themselves. So we need to teach them to honor their feelings. The other thing we need to teach them is red flags. And this mm -hmm. one's huge yeah. because we don't teach them red flags. We teach them all men and all boys are incorrigible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, another belief that we measured was uh, boys have a really hard time stopping. And so it's a girl's responsibility to stop the makeout progression. Mm -hmm. um, very common thing that's taught. And that essentially is rape culture. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and when girls believe that, then are they even going to recognize their own date rape. Mm -hmm. And so we we need to stop saying all of this stuff about how boys can't help it. And we need to start saying, if you are with a boy who acts like this, that's a red flag that you're not safe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. As well as teaching, if I can just throw this one too, as yeah. well as teaching girls, they need to honor boys' consent as well. Like we, yeah. you know, we, girls can violate guys' consent too. And so mm -hmm. I think just teaching about boundaries, how important it is to honor the boundaries of the person you're with and what consent really looks like is so key. Yeah. I You talked a lot about how consent, the, that idea of consent is very, very absent from all Christian mm -hmm. literature that exists out there, like that's even geared toward like teens and kids and like young relationships. This concept of consent is like skipped over. Mm -hmm. What did you find yeah, with that? Yeah, it absolutely is. So only 26% of our respondents said that they understood consent by the time they graduated high school. Mm. So that's horrifying. And when you yeah. look through the books that were written during purity culture to girls, like every young woman's battle, every mm -hmm. uh, for young women only, um, 
and the bride wore white. All of them have, and the book's written to guys, by the way, because every young man's battle has this too. Mm -hmm. They all have anecdotes which sound remarkably like date rape and they Mm. are never named as such. Instead, Mm. every young woman's battle literally says, you know, she should have known better. Oh, because the guy got out of control, mm-hmm. you know, and he and and she she let him do things to her. Mm-hmm. Um, and this isn't healthy or good. Mm-hmm. You have little kids. Do you, have you ever seen the book? Um, uh, Don't let the pigeon drive the bus. Yes. Yeah. Like, yes. There's a great there's a great pigeon series for toddlers. Yes. Uh, um, Don't let the pigeon drive the bus, which teaches kids how to keep saying no mm-hmm. no matter what the person tries to, the person's trying to get you to say yes yes and the book is teaching kids no you stick to your no mm-hmm. um it's great yeah but we need to start saying this to older kids as well yeah is that your no matters mm-hmm. and if you're with someone who doesn't honor your no that's not okay mm-hmm. but we haven't done that there was there was one story in a book um where the author was actually telling the story of her own life and, and where she lost her purity and where she sinned and, and where she gave up her most precious treasure. Um, and she described the situation. It was really sad. She said that she hadn't wanted it. He was forcing his attentions on her. Mm-hmm. Um, she froze like a deer in the headlights. But then he awakened something in her. <laughs> And this is classic date rape with arousal mm-hmm. non-concordance. So okay. think about what she's saying. He was forcing her. She said no. She froze like a deer in the headlights. Um, freezing like a deer in the headlights is a classic trauma response. You know, we mm-hmm. think of fight and flight as trauma responses, but women are actually more likely to show the other two trauma responses, which is freeze, mm-hmm. which is what she's doing here, and fawn, which is be super nice to him to try to get him to not be as terrible to you. Yeah. You know, so women tend to freeze and fawn. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so she's dis- displaying a classic trauma response, but then she says, but something awakened in my body. So she got aroused. Mm-hmm. Getting aroused doesn't mean that you consented. Right. And girls need to know this. Boys need to know this too. Your mind can be saying no and your yeah. body can still get aroused. Doesn't mm-hmm. mean you said yes. But she marks this time as when she lost her purity and when she sinned. And it just doesn't sound to me like she did. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So on that note, how do we talk to our kids about dating? Because like you said, okay, when you were growing up, you dated a lot and like no one was shamed (laughs) for that. And that was like, yeah, you know. And then in my growing up time, like it was very much like, you know, it's really ideal for you to only date Mm -hmm. one person. If you have a Mm -hmm. few boyfriends, not as ideal, you know, it's not, we're not going to blatantly say that you are, like sinning, but it's like not great, you know, like ideally you would just, you know, be with this one person, date them, save sex, then you get married, then you have like, that's like what we're shooting for here. And so Mm -hmm. like, I remember putting a lot of pressure on myself. That's why I stayed for forever in this like totally unhealthy relationship when I was young in high school, college, because I felt like, well, like I love him, you know, like, and that means 
like, because I told him that I loved him, I'm only supposed to give my heart away, you know, like one time. And that would be really sad (laughs) if like I end up then marrying someone else, but I've already like given my heart away and kissed this other guy. And what, you know, it was like all in my head, you know? So like, how do we talk to our kids about dating where it's like, yeah, I mean, you don't want to swing the pendulum so far where it's like they just like date a million people. They see no, it doesn't matter at all. You know, like there's no importance to it, but not so serious that it's like there should only ever be one, you know, yeah. like where, yeah. where do you fall with that? So we, we looked at the data. Um, so we, di- we divided people into four categories, people who were allowed to date and people who weren't allowed to date, and then people who did date and people who didn't date. So you could be allowed to date and not date. You right. could be not allowed to date and date. Like So four different categories. Um, and what we found is that there is no one-size-fits-all if you, it, it, depending on what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Because during purity culture, the only outcome that mattered was are they virgins on their wedding night? Right. That's what they were right. aiming for. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Telling kids they can't date and having kids not dating that does lead to more people being virgins on their wedding night. But as the mother of two adult daughters who are both married, I can tell you that on their wedding day, I was not that concerned with whether or not they were virgins. I was way more concerned about, are they marrying an abuser? And I was so thankful Mm -hmm. that I could trust the men that both of them were marrying. Like that's your real concern. Yeah. Is this a relationship? Are they going to be okay Mm long-term? And um, we just didn't look at that in purity culture. So if we expand our outcome variables. And if we ask, okay, well, how likely are they to marry an abuser? What is their self-esteem like long-term? What is their marital and sexual satisfaction like if they do get married? And are they single if they wanted to get married? Because I don't think there's anything wrong with being single. My goodness, Paul says that's a better option. You know, if you can do it, do it. And I don't think the church is welcoming enough to single people. And that is something that we need to look mm-hmm. to, to address. Um, but that being said, I think that there is a real grief if you wanted to get married and you weren't, and you never did. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so let's look at all of those outcome variables. Mm-hmm. And when you do that, there is no one size fits all. There is mm-hmm. no one option that works. The one that comes the closest is being allowed to date, but choosing not to in high school. Okay. Okay. So there, and that's something parents can't control. Yeah. Right. So mm-hmm. you need to tell your kids you're allowed to date. Yeah. But then, you know, hope they don't, or hope they don't date that much. Hope yeah. they hope these girls just say, you know what? I'm super busy with drama or with sports yeah. teams. I've got a part-time job. Mm-hmm. These boys are silly. You know, that can come later. Um, but, but that isn't something that you can control. And mm-hmm. I think it just comes with, Helping your kids have good relationships with you, talking, mm-hmm. ha- girls having good self-esteem. That's that's what really matters. Mm-hmm. I also think the issue with dating is that in purity culture, we we told 13-year-olds the same thing as we told 28-year-olds. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we need to start changing the message. So mm-hmm. my message to a 13-year-old would be, yeah, you're too young. <laughs> right. You know, mm-hmm. There are multiple studies that show there are no benefits to dating when you are 13. Right. Once, once you're in high school, okay, we can talk about it, but mm-hmm. you know, let's just, let's just keep talking. Is this really, mm-hmm. really, is this, is this a good, good relationship for you? Is this helping you? How do you feel about him? Um, but then after high school, once, once they're in college, university, once they're working, we kind of told in purity culture that you shouldn't even look for a guy, that you should just wait for God to deliver the man to you. Yes. Uh, and that doesn't really work. Mm-hmm. So I think we need to help our kids 
learn how to date, learn Mm -hmm. how to talk to the opposite sex, not be freaked out by it. Mm -hmm. Because how are you going to know who you're going to marry unless you start getting to know some people? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So listen, you're Sheila Gregoire. You're the sex lady. So we got, we have to go, we have to talk about (laughs) sex. So how do we talk to our kids about sex, right? Like how do I talk to my kids about it in a way that encourages them to save sex for when they're married, but not make an idol out of it to where it's like, Mm -hmm. this is like you said, like your identity is your virginity. And if you lose that, yikes, you know, like there's no coming back from that. Like, how do we talk about it with them? Yeah. I think what we did is we lied to our kids. So if you ever saw the movie Mean Girls, um, oh, yeah. did you see that? Yeah. You know the <laughs> gym teacher, sex ed? Don't have sex because you will get pregnant and you will die, right? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And a lot of our resources to kids said that. They talked about how, you know, they know people who are riddled with STDs and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and who are who are dying and who are rendered infertile. And multiple books talked about how you'll get infertile. And infertility is a real problem. Mm-hmm. And STDs are a real problem. But let's be honest, condoms are actually quite effective mm-hmm. at preventing. It's not 100%, but it's pretty good. Yeah. And we're making it sound like uh, there's nothing that you can do to resist, to, to reduce the risk. As someone mm-hmm. who used condoms as my main form of birth control in my marriage mm-hmm. for several years, I can tell you they actually work when yeah. you use them correctly, okay? Um, but we told kids that they didn't. Mm-hmm. And because we wanted to scare them. The problem is that our kids are all going to have friends who are having sex, yeah. who are not pregnant, who are not dead, and who are not rendered infertile. Mm-hmm. So as soon as that happens, they're going to think we lied to them. Mm-hmm. So we need to change our messaging. Tell mm-hmm. your kids the truth. Tell them, yeah, I don't want you to get pregnant. This mm-hmm. is a problem. You can tell them about STDs, but you need to put keep it in perspective. Mm-hmm. And you know the idea that if you have sex you will ruin any chance of intimacy you have with your future partner. Mm-hmm. And we did so many of exercises like that, right? Like the, oh. the glass of water they would pass around and spit in or the rose yep. petal or the chocolate bar that was half eaten or whatever analogy you heard in youth group. Yes. Um, what that really tells kids is that I my worth is based in whether or not I have saved sex. Mm-hmm. But your virginity can be taken by someone else. Mm -hmm. If our worth is in our virginity, that's something can be stolen. Mm -hmm. And also, if the only thing we're telling our kids to protect is their virginity, what's going to happen if one day they do go further than they wanted to? Mm -hmm. They do end up having sex. Now, do they have a reason to say no? Because we told them the whole reason to say no was so that they stay a virgin. Right. So the thing that I recommend is just tell your kids the truth. Tell them why you want them to wait. Mm-hmm. You know, just talk to them about that. You know, sex is just really personal. Mm-hmm. It's really awkward to do that with someone who you don't know that well. And you may mm-hmm. think you know them that well, but you actually don't, mm-hmm. you know, and it's not going to feel that good when you're mm-hmm. in the backseat of a car. And mm-hmm. this is just something which is so much better to save for a committed relationship. And that's why God wants us to, it's to protect us mm-hmm. and just tell your kids the truth. Mm-hmm. And you don't need to do it perfectly. Mm-hmm. It's okay if you're awkward. Mm-hmm. Um, but the more that our kids, the more we talk to our kids, the better our kids do. There is no downside to more information. Mm-hmm. Um, we we asked women, hey, here's 10 sex Edwards. Did you know these when you graduated high school? And the more words women knew, the less likely they were to have multiple sex partners. 
um, the higher their self-esteem was, the less likely they were to marry an abuser. Like information empowers girls. It doesn't make them go out and sleep around. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's so good. I mean, it. that's so good because, you know, obviously, like I said, my kids are really young, but I always feel like, oh, like you want to protect them. You want to protect them. Don't like, you know, just like protect the innocence, protect the innocence. But it's so good to remember, you know, information is powerful, especially in these kinds of situations where you're right. I do think there's so many girls that are raised in, you know, Christian culture and they find themselves like 18 years old, 20 years old at college. And they just like don't know things that they should know. Mm -hmm. about sex, about dating, about guys, you know what I mean? And it's, then they find themselves taken off guard by situations, you know, because they were sheltered or whatever, you know what I mean? And obviously their parents or their church was well-intentioned trying Mm -hmm. to protect them, you know, Mm -hmm. but it can backfire. Yeah, exactly. And information does not hurt our children. Mm -hmm. It really doesn't. Yeah, that's so good. What about church. Okay. So, you know, as we've talked about church changes, like every generation, there's like a new Mm -hmm. like focus. Right. Mm -hmm. So I don't know exactly what the church is going to look like when my girls are like of the age where, you know, it's like youth group and dating and all those topics are coming up, but how can we kind of be aware of like the pulse of like, what's going, like, what are they being taught in Sunday school or the retreat or the youth group thing or whatever? And how are we talking about that here? And what if your church teaches something that you kind of don't really agree with? Like, what is your advice about yeah. that? Yeah. So let me give you the good news first. So our survey d- definitively found that church attendance is good for girls. So going to church, it means that you're going to have higher self-esteem. You're going to have better marital and sexual satisfaction long-term. It's good. And multiple other studies have found this. In fact, this is such a well-established fact in psychology that they don't measure it anymore. You know, look at any psychology literature and they will tell you religiosity helps. It is a good thing, which is great. Yes. The problem is that as soon as girls internalize some of the toxic things that we've been talking about, all of the benefits of church attendance disappear. (laughs) And they would actually be better off not going to church at all, mm. which is horrifying. Yes. So we need we need to make sure that our girls are not internalizing these messages. So that means parents, we need to teach them well at home. Mm-hmm. Um, so get She Deserves Better, work through the exercises. It'll help you teach them about boundaries, about their emotions, about consent and modesty, about dating, about how to identify toxic people, all of those things. All great. But it is also important that we make sure that we're not, the church isn't working against us. Because for so many of us, for me, when I was raising my girls, that was what was going on. Mm -hmm. Is I was teaching them one thing at home, but it was really to undo what the church was teaching them. Mm -hmm. Um, Because we very much were raised in the purity culture where they were getting the modesty messages and the Mm -hmm. consent. And they had friends who would go to their youth pastor after they had been date raped. And the youth pastor said, what did you expect marrying or dating a Mm non-Christian? So they were blamed for their own date rape. Mm. Oh, um, so horrible. You don't want your girls in a youth group like that. Yeah. So we need to know what's happening. And remember that even if your church treats women fairly well um, or looks like they do, youth group takes everything and it's exponentially worse because in, um, in youth group, almost all they talk about is relationships often. 
Mm-hmm. And so in adult church, they probably don't talk about this very much. In youth group, mm. this is the main focus. Yeah. And so whatever is done in adult church, it will be exponential in youth group. So yeah. if in adult church, women's voices don't count, mm. then they're really not going to count in youth group. And they're probably going to teach a lot of boys are like this, girls are like this, girls yep. have a responsibility to protect boys, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So volunteer at youth group. Get to know your youth pastor. Get yeah. to know the youth leaders. Figure out what resources they're using. Um, and in She Deserves Better, we talk a lot about some of the books that are really hurtful and harmful. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is no substitute for that. And and then if you find that youth pastor is teaching something bad, give them She Deserves Better. Have a conversation mm-hmm. about the modesty rules that mm-hmm. got sent home about how she has to wear a t-shirt over her bathing suit, but the guy can do whatever he wants, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can talk about that double standard. And a lot of times youth pastors will listen because they don't know any different. They're just Mm -hmm. trying their best too. And so giving them, hey, here's charts. Let's look at what happens long-term. They might listen. If they don't, Mm -hmm. that's when you have a decision to make. Yeah. And it could be that maybe you need to think about going to a church that's healthier. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. What do you think about that when they send home like dress code things for girls for youth group events, especially this happens in the summer all the time. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? What's like, Mm -hmm. we're going to the water park. You have to, what do you think about that when they send home the sheet that says what you're allowed to wear? Yeah. You know, there's so many issues with this. First of all, if the girl has to cover up and the boy doesn't, wearing a swimsuit while swimming or sorry, wearing a t-shirt while swimming is actually not safe. Right. Like it's actually unsafe. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) So um, my daughters are both lifeguards. And this is one of their pet peeves is that, you know, you know, when you are wearing a a other pieces of clothing Mm -hmm. in lakes, in pools, it it increases the risk of drowning. It's just not a good idea. So that's ridiculous to begin with. Mm -hmm. Um, and, 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 but, but the bigger issue is we're, we're saying that boys can't help but lust. But we're also saying this isn't a problem for girls because guys can wear whatever they want. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry, among Gen Alpha and Gen Z, sorry, I'm Canadian, Gen Z, <laughs> <laughs> uh, girls have issues with guys' abs too and muscles too. <laughs> and like, he can look pretty good. So yeah. um, you know, that's just a real dichotomy. And and yet, you know what? Girls can can look at a guy without lusting because they've been told that lust isn't your problem. Yeah. Guys have a harder time looking at girls with that lusting because they've been told you are hopeless and you will always lust. Yes. Now, there's also a bigger issue where we've conflated noticing with lusting. And yeah, totally. A lot of guys notice a girl is pretty and they're not lusting, but they think they are. Yep. Which is just so shame inducing. Yeah. So we need to stop that. But let's say the guys do cover up and let's say girls do cover up. And they're completely, nothing is showing, they're co- their shoulders are covered, their knees are covered, everything's covered. Mm-hmm. One day those kids are going to go to the beach and they're going to be with people who aren't covered. So yes, if they are expected to respect those people mm-hmm. and not to ogle and lust after them, then they can be expected to respect their, their fellow peers and youth group without ogling and lusting too. Yeah. I love that. You're right. Totally. And here's here's one more thing. If we're going to say no two-piece swimsuits, that is very discriminatory against those with very little money because most people, the only swimsuit they'll have is a bikini. It's very actually, it's, it's actually quite hard to buy a one-piece bathing suit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if we tell girls that they have to wear a one-piece, mm-hmm. 
more marginalized girls are going to have a hard time attending youth group. Yeah, you're right. Totally. On that note, I know that you talk a lot about how girls are taught to make themselves small to make the boys feel big. Like, what do, what do you mean by that? And what are some examples of that? We measured something um, that sounds kind of funny. We asked women, did you ever believe girls talk too much? Um, and that is actually a phrase that Shanti Felden said in her book for young women only that girls mm-hmm. talk too much. Brio magazine was constantly mm-hmm. telling girls that was from focus on the family, that girls talk too much. Boys don't like girls who talk too much. Um, James Dobson in 1983, uh, put out a book, Love for a Lifetime, where he claimed that women speak 25,000 words a day and men only, or, and men only speak 12,000. And so ladies, when he gets home from work, he's already said all of his words, but you haven't said very many of yours. And so you're tempted to just talk at him, but you need to be quiet and let him be. And then other authors followed this up. I think Gary Smalley said 50,000 words and 25,000 and someone else said 14,000 and 7,000. Like the numbers kept changing. There was yeah. never any citations. The numbers kept changing, but the idea was always the same. The girls right. and women speak twice as much as men. Mm. So researchers started to notice this and they were like, is this actually true? So they measured it. Mm-hmm. And guess what? There is no statistical difference between the number of words that men and women say on a daily basis. Love it. <laughs> there might be differences between individuals, obviously. Sure, your personality plays in, yeah. you know, yeah. But women do not speak more than men. Mm-hmm. And when they're in a mixed group, women don't speak enough. Mm. So if you're in a group of men and women, yeah, let's say you're in a group of five, okay? Mm-hmm. That means everybody should speak 20% of the time. Mm-hmm. If if we're all going to speak in equal amounts, women only speak their 20% at the point where it's at least 80% female. Mm. Anything less than that, and men are going to speak far more than women. And so the problem is not that women talk too much, it's that we don't speak enough. Mm. But what we're constantly giving this message. And when when women as teenagers believe that girls talk too much, which which I think about 50% of women did, they are more likely to marry abusers. Mm. they're more likely to have low marital satisfaction. They're more likely to do a very disproportionate amount of the housework. Mm. Because if you believe girls talk too much, what you're really saying is my voice is a problem. Mm -hmm. I take up too much space Mm -hmm. and I need to make myself smaller. Mm -hmm. So in Christianity, women were told, hey, you need to not be seen by being modest and you need to not be heard. Mm -hmm. Your opinions don't matter. You're not supposed to lead. You're easily deceived. Um, so you need to be small. And that's tragic. Yeah. Absolutely. It's just, it's so, I just thank you so much for the work that you do. Like everything that you did, like on our last interview, talking about like the Great Sex Rescue and the Girl's Guide and the Guy's Guide to Great Sex and then this. It's what I love about it is that you're not saying, let's just flush it all down the toilet. You know what I mean? Like, let's just flush it all down the toilet and everyone just whatever, YOLO. (laughs) What you're saying is that we, there's better ways to speak to our daughters, to equip them, to empower them. And to me, I feel like the biggest thing, like you've said, is their self-confidence. Mm-hmm. And that that's such a huge thing, like as parents, as leaders, as pastors, as whatever, helping kids feel, girls, feel empowered that they're important, that they're 
special, that they're smart, you know, and that men aren't, all men aren't just, they can't help it. They can't help it, but just lust and ogle and it's disgusting and it's horrible and good luck to you. (laughs) I know. I, I, I almost feel like saying you can't steal my Jesus. Mm -hmm. I feel like, I feel like so much of the church has stolen Jesus. Yeah. Because they've presented a view of life, which looks nothing like Christ. Mm -hmm. A view of what it means to follow God, which looks nothing like Christ. Mm -hmm. You know, Jesus empowered women. He talked with women. He paid attention to women. He valued women. Mm -hmm. And Jesus didn't put burdens on women that were never, ever, ever put on men. Mm -hmm. You know, the idea of what it means to live a good life, that was put equally on men and women. Mm -hmm. And women do not have more of the Holy Spirit than men do. We don't have more self-control than men. Self, Mm -hmm. You you know, like this is not a thing. It's not Mm -hmm. a thing. Mm -hmm. It's just that we have enabled guys to not have to be responsible for themselves because women are there to pick up the slack and we're the ones who are being held responsible. That's Mm -hmm. not of God. Yeah. And I just want, I just want Jesus back. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. What do you think is something that's just absolutely non-negotiable? If you want to raise a healthy daughter in this world today, what is the thing that's like, this is non-negotiable. You have to do this to help her. Yes. Okay. I'm going to say two things. I know I'm only supposed to say one. First one I've already mentioned, so important, red flags. Just teach her about red flags. Mm -hmm. Teach her to recognize when someone's toxic. But for her to be able to do that, there's something more fundamental. Your daughter has to be able to disagree with you. Mm. I mean, this sounds strange, I know. But if you want your daughter to stand up in an abusive relationship with a guy, if you want her to stand up in an abusive friend group, if you want her to stand up in a small group that's reading terrible material when she's in church one day, um, she needs to feel like her voice matters. Mm. And she isn't going to feel that way if you tell her that your opinions don't matter. Yeah. So she needs to be able to disagree with you. It doesn't mean that you have to do what she says, but, you know, if she doesn't like something, she has to be free to say that without you getting upset at her. Mm-hmm. She has to be able to express opinions. And you can say, wow, that's interesting. You know, I don't agree because of X or Y, or I know that you don't particularly want to go on this vacation and I, I totally get that. I'm sorry. This is something we have to do as a family, mm-hmm. but let's talk about what would make you feel good. And maybe we can do something else. You know, mm-hmm. like, like she needs to feel like she matters. Yeah. And often we think of obedience as um, they need to go along with what I say and never question it. Mm-hmm. Do you really want a daughter who's never going to question anything? Right. Who's never going to question authority? Do you really want that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, yeah. do you want a daughter who still treats you with respect, yeah. but knows that her opinion counts? Totally. Mm, it's so good. It's so good. I love that. I. It's like, it, this is so much bigger than just like, what clothes should you let your kid wear? You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, it's so much bigger than that. And you're right. I feel like, you know, when I was in youth group, it, we got stuck on that. What shirt is okay to wear? What bathing suit is okay to wear? Mm -hmm. When you're right, it's so much bigger than that. You know, it's so much bigger than that. And um, I just, I love it. I love the work that you're doing. Is there anything else that you feel like we did not hit on that is important that you would want somebody to hear if they're listening to this? 
Oh gosh. Yeah. The book talks about so many things. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, like boundaries um, and honoring your emotions. But I, I guess the big thing that I just want people to know is that our girls matter. Mm-hmm. They matter. And girls are not sin management tools for boys. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can expect boys to do better. Mm-hmm. But we also need to empower our girls to know that they matter. And if you're in a church situation, which is consistently telling women they don't matter, your daughter's going to pick up on that. Right now, and this has never happened before, so this is actually an earthquake moment. If you look at Gen Z, girls who claim that they are not religious, so religious nuns, they outnumber boys who claim that. That's never happened before. Girls, oh, women are always more religious than men, but in the youngest generations, it's flipped. Interesting. And I think it's because our church situations have become so toxic for a lot of women. Yeah. And if we want our girls to know Christ, we need to show them who Christ really is. Yeah. And stop with all this nonsense. Yeah. And if we don't do that, then we're really we're really missing the boat. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of us need to see the real Christ because we weren't taught who Jesus really was. And so mm-hmm. I hope that in She Deserves Better, we can start a real mm-hmm. movement towards healing the church and calling it to more. Absolutely. Mm. I love that. Thank you so much for your work. Thank you for everything that you do. We will link everything in the notes for like where to get the book. I know that you also, why don't you tell us just really quickly about like your website, your podcast, like the other things that people can get from you. Sure. So just come to baremarriage.com, B-A-R-E, baremarriage.com, and you will find the Bear Marriage Podcast every Thursday. My Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook links, I'm quite um, active there. And then a link to all our books. If you click on books, you'll find She Deserves Better. And also the Great Sex Rescue, um, Good Guys Guide, Good Girls Guide to Great Sex, all of those fun things. Awesome. We thank you so much. There's Guys, there's so much that she puts out. Like there is so much. If you liked this interview, even a smidge You will love everything else that there is out there that she offers, the book, all the things will be linked in the notes. Thanks so much, Sheila. Thank you. Hey, thanks for joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CaitlinElliott.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. And hey, if you want to toss us a five-star rating, I would love you forever. Check us out next week for another new episode. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at so.what.else. Editing and all that stuff by Matt Carpenter with Parable Productions. <laughs>